Finally, it's here. Welcome to the best podcast in the history of mankind. It's Monty's Podcast. And now, here's your host, Monty Coleman. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Rockcast. I am your host, Monty Colvin. I identify as a WNBA basketball player, and I demand that you refer to me by my pronouns, which are they and them, because I refuse to follow the rules of the English language, and I like to confuse people. I find this all very confusing. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, I'm so glad you could join me. And I thought I'd start out things today with a random thought. And it kind of relates to this song I wrote years ago for the Space In Your Face album. Uh, It was called uh, Where Are You Now? And it was about people you used to know. uh, You might even have been close to them. But then you lose touch and then you might not ever see them again. And you don't know what happened to them, so forth. And I was talking to my girlfriend, Alex, about this kind of thing the other day. And uh, I was telling her that, yeah, you know, I would have friends that would add me on Facebook that I hadn't seen in years. And we'd talk for a while, and then all of a sudden they would just disappear. And I would always wonder what the deal was. Did I do something to offend them? Or did they maybe just get tired of Facebook? Or maybe they died. Who knows? However, I have managed to keep in touch with uh, even a couple of people I went to grade school with. In fact, one of them is a great guy named Robert Donati in Phoenix, and he even listens to my show. But for the most part, I've lost track of all those people I went to school with back then, and if I saw them today, I couldn't even tell you their name. But there is that one person that we all went to school with and we will never forget their name. And of course, I'm talking about the stinky guy at school. Yeah. You didn't know what the deal was, but you knew you just didn't want to go near him. And for me, that guy was Joe Feisner. He was this great big kid. He looked kind of scary. His clothes were dirty and he smelled. And if we saw him coming, we'd yell, It's Feisner! Run! And I thought, you know, I'm a guy that's bad with names, and yet I can still remember his name. So I guess he made a lasting impression. But I have no idea where he is now. Well, I got to get into something now that I am not happy about. And that would be Rolling Stone Magazine's latest list. 
And in case you haven't heard, they came out with their top 250 greatest guitarists of all time list. And they come out with these all the time. The greatest bands of all time, the best 100 heavy metal songs, the best bassists, the best singers, on and on. And to be fair, before I get into this and talk about this list, uh, I just want to point out the fact that I hate Rolling Stone magazine. Once upon a time, they might have had some kind of integrity, and I was pretty stoked years ago when I was actually in that magazine. But over the years, I got sick of their woke politics, and now they've just made the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame an abomination. So when I heard about this list, I was not expecting much, and I figured I'd disagree with a whole lot of it. And well, they did not disappoint. There were people on here that I said, okay, I agree with that, I see that. But overall, I thought the whole thing came off as a big joke. And maybe that's what they intended. I get the idea that Rolling Stone just wants to piss people off. Not that I really get that angry anymore, because I can see it coming. When they make a big deal out of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, and I hear that Missy Elliott and Rage Against the Machine are going in and that uh, Iron Maiden is not, that's really all I need to know. You can't even take it seriously. So I'm going to try and not get too upset about this stupid list, but I'm not going to lie, I do find it kind of insulting. Now I'm not going to go through every single player on this list, because I haven't even heard of a lot of these people. But I think that's kind of the point of whoever made this list out. Look at me, I'm smarter than you. It's kind of like when they told us that Radiohead was the greatest band in the world. If you wanted to sound cool and really smart, you went, Oh yeah, Radiohead, I love Radiohead. Totally. But then you heard Radiohead and you went, uh, yeah, no. So when I see somebody named Aaron Smith from Bratmobile on here at 240, I just have to go, all right, I have no idea who that was. But more than likely, it's just a writer going, yeah, look at me. I'm impressed. So there's a lot of that on here. Uh, there's somebody named Teeny Hodges who used to play with Al Green, apparently. And he's ranked way ahead of guys like Rory Gallagher, Steve Lukather, and Eric Johnson. And at this point, uh, this is where I started to get really confused. I was seeing names on here like uh, Danita Sparks from L7, Chrissy Hine, Joan Jett, and at 49 was PJ Harvey. And so I said, oh, okay, so it's not about how good you were or talented on the guitar or uh, being a virtuoso on the guitar. It's about uh, if you were an innovator, like if you started a musical movement and influenced a generation of guitar players, I get it. Like Steve Jones is on here from the Sex Pistols. You know, not a great guitar player, but uh, okay, I get it. He's a punk rock legend. I'll go with that. Uh, when I saw Lita Ford was on the list, at first I'm like, what? Lita Ford? But then I'm like, okay, she was in the runaway. She probably influenced a lot of girls to pick up a guitar. But then I saw John Lennon and Kurt Cobain on the list. And so then I thought, okay, well, they must be saying they were songwriters. 
And if you're going by that criteria, then that opens the door for a whole slew of people. But you know who was a great songwriter who wasn't on the list? Carrie Livgren from Kansas. At one point, Kansas was one of the biggest bands in the world. All kinds of hit songs. But nope, not cool enough for Rolling Stone. But speaking of the band, the Rolling Stones, uh, guess who was on the list? Keith Richards. And I love Keith Richards. He's cool. He's a legend. God bless him. But could he ever play the guitar like Yngwie Malmsteen, who was not on the list? I'm outraged. But okay, Keith Richards was a great songwriter, as was Prince and Pete Townsend, and yeah, they better be on the list. They were great players, great songwriters, and they sold millions of albums. Who else was like that? Well, Peter Frampton. Was he on the list? No. And if you're one of those people that thinks, ah, he wasn't that good, he was just a pop star. Well, then you need to check out a video on YouTube by Rick Beato. He breaks down a bunch of his guitar solos on Frampton Comes Alive, and he explains just why the guy was amazing. Now, another one of my pet peeves on this list is that they would take two guys from the same band and then make it one choice. For instance, there was a couple of brothers on here named Aaron Destner and Bryce Destner, and they played for a bunch of different people. And they're both at 243 because apparently there's no difference between them. Kind of like at 219, they had Glenn Tipton and K.K. Downing of Judas Priest. At 83, we had Adrian Smith and Dave Murray of Iron Maiden. And all the way up at 57 was Thurston Moore and Lee Ronaldo of Sonic Youth. Oh, and at 43, a couple of guys from Radiohead. What the hell? Well, of course, it's Radiohead. If you don't understand that, then I guess you just don't understand music like I do. The list goes on and on and on and on. Another one that bugged me was Angus Young and Malcolm Young being teamed up. Uh, Like, you couldn't possibly separate them. I mean, if you did that, you might have to take off Barbara Lynn, whoever that is. I'll admit I've never heard of the guy. Now, there was a couple of surprises on here, like uh, Brian Robertson and Scott Gorham of Thin Lizzy at 194. And it wasn't the fact that they were so ridiculously low on the list or that they paired them up. I was just shocked that they made the list at all. They've been so disrespected by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame all these years, I thought that that would continue. And obviously, I love both of these guys. They were on Live and Dangerous, and uh, they deserve to be on here. But I will say this, they left off a couple of guys that were in Thin Lizzy that were probably better than both of them. That being John Sykes and Gary Moore. How in the world do you leave them off? But you know something? They left off all kinds of people. Nowhere to be found on this list was Aldi Miola or Robin Trower. No Paul Gilbert, no Pat Travers. And I'll get to some others in a minute, but one that just absolutely boggled my mind that he wasn't on here. For the love of God, how do you leave off John Petrucci of Dream Theater? Not that he needs this list, because I think most people know that he's one of the greatest guitarists to ever walk the earth. But if you don't have him on here, you're an idiot and your list is garbage. 
And to prove my point, here's one of my favorite guitar solos of all time. It's off Images and Words and Eat This Rolling Stone. practicing John maybe someday Rolling Stone will come out with a top 300 list and they can put you in between the guys from Pearl Jam and Annie DeFranco I'm so disgusted right now yet another thing that bothered me about this list is that it seemed like they were making a lot of these choices based on diversity or uh, gender or woke inclusion For instance, Lizzie Hale of Hailstorm. Great singer, but one of the greatest guitarists of all time? No. Or another one that really bugged me was Her, H-E-R. You've probably seen her on those State Farm commercials. Yeah, better than Ted Nugent, who was left off the list, I'm guessing because of his political views. And of course, while including every single blues player who ever lived, They pretty much ignored death metal, metalcore, and power metal. Yeah, Rolling Stone, have you ever heard of Herman Lee from Dragon Force? He's got a podcast, look it up. And he would also fill your quota for Asians. Exactly. However, a few thrash guys got on here, like Hetfield, uh, Kirk Hammett, and Carrie King. But they left off, I repeat, left off Dave Mustaine, Marty Friedman, and uh, Scott Ian from Anthrax. How is that even possible? Now, Rolling Stone did avoid my complete wrath by having Dimebag Daryl on here, but they had him at an insulting 131. Yeah, apparently there were 129 people who were more important than Dimebag. But at least he was on here, unlike, get ready for it, Zach Wild. No! No! Yeah, you heard me. Not on the list. Zach Wild. This can't be real. Who was on there instead? Uh, how about that guy from Red Hot Chili Peppers? Yeah. Are you shitting me? But okay, okay, right about now you're probably saying, Monty, was there anything about this list that you agreed with? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I thought there were several very deserving people. I couldn't argue with Steve Howe, Steve Vai, Eric Johnson. Let's see, uh, Billy Gibbons, Joe Satriani was on here. I was all right with Alex Lifeson, uh, definitely okay with Tony Iommi. But I thought Randy Rhodes at 21 was kind of low. I was also happy that Frank Zappa was on here because he was a genius. But so was Devin Townsend and he was not on here. 
I was also glad that Brian May was on here because I expected him to be on the list, but I was not happy that he was at 33 below Neil Young. Well, that's ridiculous. I also fully expected The Edge from U2 to be on here, and yeah, he was. And I suppose he was kind of important. If for no other reason, he contributed to the sales of millions of delay pedals. That's a very, very good point. As far as people I thought were way too high on this list, uh, well, Jerry Garcia. (laughs) Get it? Way too high? I I get it. Uh, Yeah, he was at 34 above Eric Clapton. All right. But finally, let me just read through the top 10. At 10, you had Dwayne Allman. At 9, Joni Mitchell. Ah! Yeah, very Rolling Stone of them. Leave Michael Schenker and Zach Wilde off the list. Have Joni Mitchell at number 9. Thank you. At uh, number 8, B.B. King. Number 7, Nile Rogers. At number 6, way above David Gilmore and Stevie Ray Vaughan, it's Sister Rosetta Tharp. We are entering the Twilight Zone here. At number five, Jeff Beck. At number four, wow, they let Eddie Van Halen into this top ten. Good for them. Uh, At number three, Jimmy Page. At number two, Chuck Berry. And at number one, who else? Jimi Hendrix. So there you go. There are some of my thoughts on Rolling Stone's 250 Greatest Guitarists list. And for the most part, I thought it was ridiculous. They can tell me all day long that Tom Murillo from Rage Against the Machine is a better guitar player than Randy Rhodes or Ingbe Malmsteen, but they can't fool me because I know deep down they probably don't even believe that. But you know, Tom's a radical leftist, so it probably makes sense to them. But before moving on to another topic, I wanted to mention one more guy that should have been on the list. He's mainly known for a song called Rock and Roll Hoochie Coo, and his name is Rick Derringer. And the first time I'd ever heard of him was in 1978 when he opened up for Peter Frampton at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. And I didn't know what to expect, but he blew my mind. It was the first time I'd ever seen a guitar player have a wireless system, and he'd take his guitar off and throw it to the other guitar player, And at 19 years old, that was just amazing to me. And after the concert, I went and bought his live album. And to this day, I still think it's great. But since the 70s, he won Grammys as a producer. He did tours with Cyndi Lauper and Ringo Starr. And he also became an outspoken Christian, which is probably another reason why he's not on the list. But who really cares what Rolling Stone thinks? Because they suck and Rick Derringer does not.
All right, got a question here from Jim Lambert in Canada. And Jim wanted to know, hey, Monty, do you have one song in particular that you have written but regretted never recording for the world to hear? And if so, will we ever get to hear it? All right, well, thanks for the question, Jim. Uh, You know, I've written a lot of songs that never went on any albums, and I've also recorded a lot of demos that never went on any albums. But do I regret any of them not going on an album? And I would have to say probably not. When songs don't make it onto an album, there's usually a reason. And usually the reason is, is that they're not as good. And the problem is these days is that a lot of times they get out there anyway onto the internet and somebody will post them on YouTube. And then I say, oh great, now everyone can hear a song that I really didn't want anyone to hear. But there are some songs that I wrote for my crunchy Loserville album that never saw the light of day, and I might go back and work on them sometime. And every now and then I'll be going through my music collection on my computer, and I'll run across a song I totally forgot about, and I'll listen to it, and I'll go, man, that was pretty good. But generally those songs just weren't ready yet, and they need more work. Now, a better question might be, did I ever write a song for an album that went on the album that I regret putting on the album? And the answer to that is, yeah, there's probably been one or two. And the song that immediately pops into my head is uh, In a Lonely Room. I wrote that for the Machine Fish album, and it was kind of personal. It was about when I was in college and I had rented this little bitty one-room apartment. And when I say one room, I mean one room. Somebody had rented me a bedroom in their house and it had a stove, refrigerator, and a bed. You could barely turn around in there and I had very few friends and I just got really depressed and lonely. I was not a frat boy, I was an art student, and so I was not the cool guy on campus. And there were a lot of times when I would just look out the window and go, where is my life going? And so years later, when things were going a little bit better for me, I looked back on that and I thought, maybe that would make a good song. And I came up with this heavy riff and what I thought was a pretty catchy chorus. And I showed it to the guys in Galactic, and we went full speed ahead. And I kind of pushed for it to be on the album, uh, which it was. But the only problem was is that uh, I had Ben sing the song in the studio. And I found out later, after the album came out, that Ben really couldn't relate to the lyrics that much. And I felt bad after the fact, but it was already out, and uh, I probably should have either sang it myself or just uh, waited and held on to it. But that may be one of those songs I have a few regrets about, but uh, I still think it's a pretty good song.
Every now and then, I'm asked to be a guest on other people's podcasts, and I just did a show for one on YouTube called Area 312. And those guys were so nice. They knew all about the Galactic releases, and they asked me all kinds of questions about that stuff. And it made me realize that people are kind of interested in that kind of thing. And so I decided to start a new segment called Uncle Monty's Story Corner. It's kind of like when you take your kids to the library and have a drag queen read a book to them. So here we go. And the first story kind of goes back to my college days once again. And it was my senior year in the fall of 1982. So yeah, it was over 40 years ago. I think the dinosaurs were still roaming the earth. And I still lived by myself there in Springfield, Missouri. I played a lot of guitar, I was trying to write songs, and I listened to the radio a lot. And there was this really cool college radio station that would just play anything. They'd play the Scorpions, they'd play Carole King, they played New Wave stuff, and uh, they'd even play local bands. And one night they played this local Springfield band called The Edge. And I liked it, and I thought, you know, I should go see these guys. And so the next time I heard they were playing, I asked this girl if she wanted to go with me. She wasn't really my girlfriend, but she was a friend, and I didn't want to go by myself. And she said, sure. And so we met up and uh, went to this club called The Hangar. And we get there, and sure enough, it's this old airplane hangar that they had turned into a bar. And we walk in, and I look up, and the band is already playing, and they're about 15 feet up in the air on top of the bathrooms. But they've got these two killer guitar players. They've got a black guy on bass and vocals. And they're playing all these cool cover tunes. Like, back then, I was into this band called The Producers. And they were doing some of that stuff, and they did this uh, really badass version of Johnny Be Good. And I was really digging it. And during one of their breaks, I did something that I rarely ever do. I saw the bass player standing around talking to people, and I just walked over and said, Hey, man, I really love your band. And he said, Thanks, uh, I'm Doug. And I said, I'm Monty. And I found out later that his name was actually Doug Pennick. But no one knew who he was back then, and to me, he was just some guy that was in a local cover band. But we had a nice conversation about music, and when I left that night, I thought, wow, he's a nice guy, but I'll never see him again. Well, a night or two later, I'm walking home from class, and it was starting to get dark, and all of a sudden, I see this black, thin figure running toward me. And I look a little closer, and I say, are you Doug? And he said, yeah, I ran into your friend from the club the other night, and she told me where you lived. And I said, oh, cool. Well, what are you doing? And he said, I'm going to see that movie Tron. Do you want to go? And I thought, well, I don't really like sci-fi, but sure. And so we go to the movie, and then we just start hanging out all the time. And one day I go over to see him and his place, and I walk in, and the entire band is living in one house. There's guys in sleeping bags on the floor. And I found out this is all these guys do. They just play music and they somehow survive. And so this was an early education for me as to how a band works. At this point, I'd never been in a band before and uh, I was going to all their shows there in town. 
And just from hanging out with them, I was learning stuff like how to make a set list. I learned a lot about equipment and how to set it up, how to interact with the crowd. And all that experience was just invaluable. And some nights I'd be out till three in the morning watching those guys. And then I'd have to get up the next morning and go to class. But I was just loving it and uh, it just made me want to play even more. And one night Doug came over to my apartment and we were hanging out talking. And I said, uh, hey, would you uh, listen to one of my demos? And he said, sure. And so I played him this song that I'd written and it was on this really bad quality cassette. But he sat there and listened to it, and after it was done, he looked at me and went, Man, I really like that. And it was the first time anybody that I truly respected said uh, they liked one of my songs. And for me, that was huge. It was very validating and encouraging. And Doug not only liked it, but he said, Why don't you come over to my house tomorrow night and we'll do a real demo. And so I went over there and he had one of these little multi-track recorders and uh, I played guitar, he played bass and sang it. And it turned out really cool. I was really proud of it. And at the end of the night, he said, you know what, I want my band to play this. And he took the tape to the guys in his band, which at that time was Ty Tabor, Jerry Gaskell, and this other guitar player named Kirk Henderson. And they actually learned it, and I went to see them play it one night at one of their gigs. And so this all was making me feel really good about myself. I thought, you know, I think I could be a songwriter. And this was all right before I went home for Christmas vacation. And Doug dropped by the apartment again one afternoon, and he said, well, Kirk's quitting the band. And I said, oh, wow, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, we're thinking about having you play. And I thought, oh my God, this would be incredible. And so I went home and all during Christmas break, I just learned all their songs. And when I got back to Springfield, I saw Doug and he said, uh, yeah, I think we're just going to stay a three piece. <laughs> yes, I was disappointed, but I did have only a few more months left in school. And so I went ahead and got my degree, and the week of graduation, my girlfriend broke up with me. And when I asked her why, she told me, well, you don't have any goals. But oh, contraire. I wanted to be in a band. That was my goal. And I'll tell you the rest of the story at another time. But for now, let me just say this. I think certain things in our life happen sometimes for a reason. I had no idea that going to a club in Springfield, Missouri back in the early 80s would lead to a series of events that would totally change the course of my life. Some would say it was luck or fate. There are those that would say it was the work of the devil. I'm going to give the credit to God because I think he had a plan for my life. And sure, I had to put in a lot of work to get to where I wanted to go. I didn't just sit in my house waiting for something to fall in my lap. But when I think back to all that stuff that happened in college, I'm just still amazed. Me too! So there's a story for you. I hope you enjoyed that. Mmm, no, not really. Okay, let's do some more emails and messages. And I got one here on Facebook from Mr. Eric Helsner. And Eric says, Hey, Monty, I'm listening to Podcast 261, and I just heard you mention Bob Gross from the Portland Trailblazers. 
As a lifelong Blazers fan, I never thought I'd hear Bob Gross being referenced in a rock podcast. Very cool that you know who he is. Thanks for all the great music over the years and for the great podcast. Well, thanks so much, Eric. I appreciate the kind words and thanks for listening. And yeah, you know, as much as I love music and art, uh, I think I love sports as much or maybe more. I've been a sports fan my whole life and I can probably blame my dad for that. When I was around 10, I noticed him always watching sports. And I think it was probably because he played football and basketball in uh, high school and junior college. And I think it was around 1971, I started buying these books that had all the players listed. And I had one for football and one for basketball and baseball. And I just started memorizing all these players' names. And so, of course, I remember Bob Gross. He was on that championship team in the 70s that had Bill Walton, Maurice Lucas, and I'm pretty sure the guards were Lionel Hollins and Johnny Davis. And it may be just a little bit pathetic that I can name all those players and yet I don't know the name of the governor of Colorado, but that's just the way I am. I love my sports. And since moving to Colorado about three years ago, it's just been a cornucopia. Denver just has everything. And Alex and I love going to games, but uh, we don't get to go that often because it's so expensive. And a lot of times when we buy tickets, we literally have to make monthly payments. Which, by the way, you can do the same thing with my paintings if you want. And if you're interested, drop me a message. But like I said, love going to sporting events. And it's weird because I've noticed they're all different. For instance, if you go to see the Nuggets, it's like uh, going to a rap concert. I love that. Yeah, even though I think Denver is like 90% Caucasian, I think the NBA thinks that everyone who watches basketball is black. And so they're pounding that rap music the entire game. What's wrong with that? Unlike football and hockey, that's a little more classic rock. Every now and then they'll throw in some punk pop, but uh, for the most part, it's like the Who and the Stones. And the crowds are just very intense, unlike baseball. When we go see the Rockies, there's no expectations whatsoever. From opening day till the end of the season, we pretty much know they're going to suck. But we go anyway because it's just fun to sit outside. Uh, The weather's beautiful in the summer. And it's very relaxing. You're only going to get excited about every 30 minutes or so. Someone will hit a home run, you stand up and cheer, and then you sit back down and uh, chill. Baseball sucks! Besides going to games, I also watch a ton of sports on TV. And yes, I even watched the World Series this year. Even though it was the lowest rated World Series in history, I didn't care. I enjoyed it. Why? Because for once, the Houston Astros weren't in it. Not basketball, not football, baseball! And right about now, you're probably saying, well, what else is on TV, Monty? Well, naturally, I watched a couple of documentaries. Chris in Baltimore wanted to know if I watched the one on Tom Petty, and well, of course I did. I'll watch just about any documentary about a musician, especially if it's one I like. And I do like Tom Petty. I thought he was a great songwriter. And this documentary was about him recording a solo album. Which is kind of strange because he had three of the Heartbreakers play on the album. 
But whatever, if you want to watch Tom Petty record an album with Rick Rubin, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, I also, believe it or not, watched a documentary on The Wiggles. Remember them? If you were a kid in the early 2000s, which I was not, uh, you may have watched them. Or if you had kids around that time, which I did, uh, she watched them. And so I thought this would really be good, but uh, no, not really. Ah. But I did find out a few interesting things about them. For instance, I'll be honest, I assumed all these years that they were probably gay. But no, it turns out they were just geniuses. I'm guessing they all became filthy rich and they all got old. But of course, like always, you had that one guy that had to continue on without the others. And eventually, what else? He decided they needed to be more diverse. So now you got black wiggles, gay wiggles, and non-binary wiggles. I mean, does everything have to change? I was personally okay with uh, Captain Feather Sword and Fruit Salad, yummy yummy. That song was pretty good, yeah, yeah, I liked it. I also watched some stuff on the commercial channel, also known as YouTube. And I found out that Sammy Hagar has formed a Van Halen tribute band. It's him, Michael Anthony, Joe Satriani, and Jason Bonham, which sounds a lot like Chickenfoot to me. I know they're all great musicians, but uh, it just seems like something's missing. Hmm, oh, I know what it is. There's no one in the band with the last name Van Halen. Oh, yeah, good one. I never thought of that. I personally think Alex Van Halen should have been involved, but do I really care? No. I saw some clips of him playing some songs on the Howard Stern show, and they were pretty much nailing all of it. Satriani is unbelievable. But I was never a big fan of the Van Hagar stuff, so I'm probably going to pass. But I'm sure there's going to be a ton of people who will want to go see this. I am not one of them. All right, uh, you know, forgive me, but I keep going back to this greatest guitarists of all time list from Rolling Stone. And I keep thinking, you know, whoever made out this list, uh, they're supposed to be experts, right? But who in the hell leaves John 5 off the list? Have you ever seen or heard him play? And while I'm at it, no Tony McAlfine, no Jeff Loomis. But okay, you want to act like you're really smart and you want to name people that no one's ever heard of? How about a guy named Phil Kagey? Someone asked Jimi Hendrix back when he was still alive, who's the best guitar player you've ever heard? He said, Phil Kagey. And speaking of Hendrix, I get it. He's at number one because he basically invented a guitar sound no one had ever heard before. But you know who else did that and was not on the list? Tom Scholz from Boston. He literally invented a new guitar sound. It was called the Rockman. But no, not important enough for Rolling Stone. And finally, three guys who were around in the 70s who I think should have been on the list. Buck Dharma from Blue Oyster Cult, Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, and Roy Clark from Hee Haw. They were all legends and they all got snubbed because apparently they had to have a certain amount of females on the list, including Carrie Brownstein of Sleater Kenny. But you know, I could go on forever about this. But I'm going to move on to a CD review, and uh, the guitar player for this band I think should have also been on the list and wasn't. 
It's Paige Hamilton from Helmet. And Helmet has a new album. It's called Left, and I am digging it. Apologies, I absolutely love Helmet and have for years. And if you've ever listened to them, you know that uh, Paige Hamilton, their singer, uses two different voices. On some songs, he mainly yells, and then on other songs, he mainly sings. And on this one, he does a lot more singing, and there's harmony vocals on a lot of the songs, and uh, he just came up with some really good melodies and some really good songs. So there's the new one from Helmet. I give it a big thumbs up and I really like it. But before I go, I wanted to just mention a couple of things. First of all, please visit my website, montycalvinart.com. Christmas will be here soon and paintings, prints, and refrigerator magnets make great gifts. Also, I have a few Rockcast hats available. And if you're interested in those, just drop me a message. And last but not least, here's some news that I really hate to share because one of our Rockcast brothers has passed away. A really sweet guy named Joseph Glenn who had messaged me for years. He listened to the show. He commissioned me to do a painting about three years ago. And it was always really good to hear from him. Uh, He passed away in a car wreck. And stuff like that's always tough for me because, you know, a lot of you message me and some of you I haven't even met. But sometimes you kind of form friendships and uh, you feel like you're really close to them. And then one day they're just gone. And so my thoughts and prayers go out to Joseph's family. 
And rest in peace, Joseph. Uh, you will be missed. But that's going to do it for me for now. I'm going to leave you with some more of that Helmet album, but I will return soon with more fun and mayhem. But until then, this has been Monty saying take care. Don't let anyone tell you what to like unless it's me. And rock on.